0: Welcome to the Green Edge podcast with Michael Cross and me, Fraser Harper. This is our update for the week ending 27th of October, 2023. For anyone interested in the state of the British nation as far as its labour market is concerned, a link we include in this week's Green Edge post makes fascinating and, perhaps, as we say in the post, somewhat scary reading. Click on the link and it takes you to a slide deck from a recent event by the Institute of Employment Studies, IES. The deck was made by the director of the IES, Tony Wilson, and it points to four key trends. First, a smaller young population plus more students means that the youth labour force has fallen from 4.7 million to 4.2 million in just 10 years. Secondly, for the decade before Brexit, we were adding 220,000 people each year. Now it's just 130,000. Thirdly, more people are staying out of work or not coming back into it because of long-term health conditions. And finally, the effects of an aging population means that the ratio of people of working age to people of pensionable age, which 30 years ago was 4 to 1, will fall to just 2 to 1 by the time net zero comes around in 2050. Michael, we're told that the economy has to grow, but the UK labour force doesn't seem to be growing much, does it?
1: It doesn't, and therefore we need to look for other ways of either raising productivity dramatically, or finding ways of having managed flows of people coming into the country, which is certainly happening in terms of when you look at the number of work permits and visas being issued to skilled workers, and also the flow of students that are coming in.
0: Now, that number of hundred to 120,000 or 130,000, whatever it might be, that's quite a bit less than was coming in in the first two decades of the century, isn't it?
1: Oh, it's a dramatic change. And you see that demographic rippling through the school population. So the primary school population has dropped by about half a million. As we move forward to 2028, and that will just ripple through, and we'll see that trend. The beauty of the demographics, you can see those figures coming many years in advance as we all age year by year. And so we need some so quite radical solutions to this. But we don't stand alone. Every other country in the Western world has got the same dependency ratio issues, and that is looming on other economies, large ones like Japan. United States, even in China as well, where they have a fairly low birth rate, relatively speaking. And so we'll all be scrabbling for the same sets of skills. And those countries where people might come from will also be requiring those skills as they try and move towards net zero. So it is a major problem. And it is one that's going to have to be resolved, not country by country on a bilateral basis, but certainly a unilateral basis. And it would be nice to see some broader set of principles established about the flow of labor and the flow of skills and the skilling up of people on a global basis.
0: We have a lot of old Italians as well, don't we? I had an old Italian in my fridge the other day. It wasn't very good. Anyway, with all of this as a backdrop, like most countries, we have new demands on the workforce from things like digitization, automation, AI, and of course, the transition to net zero. And while many commentators talk about the risk to jobs from these various factors, there seems to be a general consensus that for the green transition, at least more people will be needed. But how many? Where and when? Well, a couple of months ago, the Green Edge talked to Tony Wilson of IES,
2: and this was his view. Estimates of how many jobs are going to be created with the transition to net zero and the sort of green economy are really, really hard to do accurately. They are likely to be of a scale that's in the hundreds of thousands, up to you know a million or more. I think over the next thirty years, in terms of new jobs that would not have existed without this transition to net zero, and those jobs are going to be around how we generate energy around how we build differently in the future, how we make our homes more energy efficient, how we heat our homes, and everything that goes with surface and eventually air and other transport and electrification of that. So it's a major transition. But in practice, though, I think it's worth saying there's a few things here. One is that we have a very large labour market. So we've got 30-odd million people in work. And so when we talk about changes of, let's say, 300,000, would that be like 1% of the labour force? 600,000 would be a couple of percent. But a lot of the jobs we're talking about The jobs that are doing similar sorts of economic activity to what we've been used to in the past, they're just doing it differently. Construction's the best example. We've seen this already, but it's also, it also applies to things like maintenance and repair of vehicles. We've seen that already as well. For anyone who's had their internal combustion engine car repaired recently, and if you happen to ask the person who's done it, how are you prepared for electric cars? They'll probably say, all right, we're doing it already. Well, they'll say it's not that different, which surprised me when I asked an RAC or that person. So it's not that different. These days with internal combustion engine cars, where you plug in the computer and it tells you what's wrong with the car, it's actually not that different. So it's kind of these transitions, actually, the economy does manage, and we have to support them. And our skills system needs to support them. Then there's other things which are genuinely new How are we going to harness wind energy better in future and maybe tidal energy as well? How are we going to support transition to hydrogen power, for example, if we're going to make use of that? So there are things where we are going to have really specific skills gaps if we don't address them. They're opportunities for us, but they become challenges very quickly because if we don't do them well enough, we'll have to import those skills.
0: Michael, Tony said the new jobs for the green transition are in the scales of hundreds of thousands up to a million or more. And if the labour market is only growing at the rate of 100,000, 120,000 or so a year, that's quite a few years worth by my reckoning. So that last point from Tony about having to import the skills we don't build well enough is the crux of what we're talking about in our post this week. We're talking about the M word, aren't we?
1: We talk about migration, yes, in a managed way, and we already have a significant flow of people coming into the country. But it's not just the flow and the numbers, but it's also the levels and rates of demands we're seeing occurring across our economy. Whilst net zero will actually increase the actual number of additional jobs above and beyond what we've already got, but also we have other parts of the economy like the healthcare sector, where if you just take the NHS workforce plan, the number of medics and medically trained people will rise by about 300,000 over the next 10 years. That's before you move into ancillary workers and you move into the care sector itself. And therefore, we see the level of new jobs, net new jobs, being quite significant. And I can only see a future government in this country having to have a very progressive and very active immigration policy, but also finding ways of supporting people who have withdrawn from the labour market, re-entering the labour market in some shape or form, possibly on a flexible basis. And I think the Autumn Statement is going to be saying more about that. Certainly the work that Tony Wilson and his commission have been doing at the Institute have been saying this, and it'll be a multi-pronged attack to try and boost the size of the workforce course going forward. And also one of the mooted ideas is to delay the state pension to seventy five. Not that necessarily mean people won't retire before that age, but people might start thinking of winding down at a later age as they withdraw from the labour market and possibly cease working completely when they hit the age of seventy-five. It's a series of things will have to be done to boost the scale and size of the labour market and retain and develop the skills we require.
0: Well one of the questions we ask in the post is to what extent extent the UK and the devolved administrations have started to think strategically about using migration as a tool to fill the skills gaps, not just for net zero, but across the board. And we mentioned what Germany is doing with regard to importing solar technicians from India and also Canada with its policies on digital nomads. Now, Scotland seems to be furthest ahead right now in thinking strategically about in-migration, Michael.
1: It is, and it's trying to work those issues through. Where the Scotland plan might fall foul, it doesn't control this issue. I think that's a Westminster issue. It is not devolved to the nations to manage its own active immigration policy and the issuing of visas. So there'll be a little issue and a bit of a debate to be held between Scotland and Westminster if they're going to actually progress their own thinking.
0: And a reminder that you can find this week's post with a quote from that unabashed Hunter and Fisher, yet somehow strangely conservational Ernest Hemingway on greenedge.substack.com. And you can also find this podcast on all the major streaming platforms, including Apple, Google and Amazon. Right, Michael, you're taking a wee break right now down on the sunny South Coast but you've still got your eye on the old reports and you'll be posting your reports roundup as usual next week on the 1st
1: of November. Highlights from this month? Well, I'll just pick out one and that's the Department for Education publication around skills taxonomy and classification. It's a fairly meaty report reviewing the status in this country and also seeking to learn from other countries. Long overdue, We certainly need a classification and taxonomy in this country to allow us to manage and monitor the development of skills, the future nature of skills and the formation of skills as jobs change. There have been several attempts at this as one off exercises using ONET data in the United States, using ESCO or Nesta's own classification system based on LinkedIn type data and also data coming from Lightcast, which is basically job postings. I think it's long overdue, as I say. We've been calling for this for about eight to ten years, and hopefully that will land well and be properly funded. To put up a scheme that really is robust and properly maintained will not be a large investment relative to the gains that'll be made. So I'm really pleased we saw that report. It's by Peter Elias and his colleagues in the main from the Institute for Employment Research up in Warwick University.
0: Okay, look out for that. Right, one last item of business, the Rugby World Cup final. I think we can safely say the results of the semis were as we predicted, although once again the Springboks did it the hard way and well played England. Michael, your prediction for the final and plays to watch from the all Blacks side.
1: I think South Africa will win it, but I hope New Zealand will. Because I'd rather see 15-man rugby beat eight-man rugby, where the huge emphasis or over on the scrum and the power of having eight huge forwards who can relentlessly beat down the opposition. In terms of who to look for on the New Zealand side, I think I'd just look at the Barrett family. I think they're quite amazing to have three players in the starting 15 in all likelihood of that side. And I think we should also think of the players we'll be saying farewell to from the England camp, some of whom will be turning out on Friday night to play the Argentinians. And it'd be great to see a great game by Ben Youngs, who's playing his, I think it's 127th game for England, which is an amazing feat. And it'd be nice for him to go out with a bang and win that game in real style.
0: It will indeed. Bonne chance to England in the bronze medal game there, of course. Well, I'm the opposite to you. But I think the All Blacks will get it. Last weekend, my heart was with England, but my head was with South Africa, only just. And this weekend, I have to say my heart's with the Bucks, but my head's with the All Blacks. But I think the South African players to watch will be De Klerk, Pollard, yeah. Etzebeth, and if he gets a chance, Colby.
1: Oh, Colby's a great player. Superb yeah.
0: player. Don't think he'll charge another kick down, though. Anyway, no doubt we'll ruminate a little on the result next week. Thank you very much, Michael. I'll let you get back to your vacation. Thanks, Fraser. Thank you for listening to this Green Edge podcast. This podcast series accompanies the Green Edge newsletter, to which you can subscribe at greenedge.substack.com. The Green Edge is produced by Blue Mirror Insights.